0: Welcome to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. As the founder and CEO of Peterson Wealth Services and a former number one ranked jockey, Billy knows what it takes to succeed. In this podcast, Billy and his team will help equine enthusiasts, business owners, and retirees understand the keys to financial freedom. Saddle up and get ready for a ride you won't soon forget on how you can harness your wealth. Hello folks, this is Billy Peterson. Welcome to the
1: show, Harnessing Your Wealth. Today, I want to introduce a good friend of mine, John Deal. John, thanks for being here with us today.
2: Hey, Billy. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you.
1: You bet. Good to see you. We wanted to bring you on as you are, you have extensive background in the concept of aging. And I I don't want, I don't mean to sound trivial when I say that. I I want to get your background as you work with the Hartford, uh, a great partner to us and our business here for many years. We know Matt Montague; he's helped us in in many many ways over the years. He was actually the one who introduced us to you, John. So I know you do a lot of work. You work uh, with studying and doing research on how people are aging and how people are growing and, uh, older, if you will. So it's interesting to me, and the reason I wanted to have you on the show is to help our listeners understand what's going on in in your research. And Mm -hmm. so we can kind of get through the curtains, if you will, and helping people manage money is great and building those portfolios, but ultimately what are they going to do with the money that they obtain and accumulate during their working years as they start to think about retirement years. So I'm going to start with just giving you the chance to give us your background and the kind of work that you do for the Hartford
2: Sure. Great, Billy. Uh, ironically enough, this month I'll celebrate my 35th anniversary of working with uh, the Hartford and Hartford funds. Uh, it's been wow. an interesting career, but the past 20 years, as you mentioned, I've really focused my career in uh, kind of studying aging and longevity and helped by studying not just aging in the United States, but around the world and also not just as it applies to financial services, but through some of our research relationships. One of the most important relationships that I've managed for now the past 20 years is the relationship with the Age Lab at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So my career, Billy, actually started in financial planning. I've been a certified financial planner for, oh, probably close to to 25, 27 years. can't even remember now, but- Mm -hmm. Uh, In 2003, our CEO asked me to take over the responsibility of running our research in aging and longevity with the MIT Age Lab. Uh, The Hartford already had a relationship with MIT under the auto insurance side of things, that the Hartford is the auto insurer of AARP. And back in 1999, we were very concerned about accident rates and older drivers. And we began the relationship with MIT looking at car technologies like maybe some of those that you you experienced today, like uh, lane departure warning systems, reverse monitoring systems, smart braking and the like. Many mm-hmm. of those technologies have really aided the aging driver and helped to minimize accidents. Well, in 2002, 2003, we decided to take that. Uh, we still do the auto research work, but now at kind of a new vein of research, as you mentioned, on kind of looking beyond the financial side of retirement and thinking about what does it mean to live another 20, 25, 30, 35 years in retirement, because average life expectancies today in the United States, imagine this, Billy, if I have two people both age 65, husband and wife, there's now a 50-50 chance that one of the two will at least live to age 92, Mm -hmm. right? And for the ladies listening, we probably don't have to share who the odds are in favor of. But as we think about living into our early to mid-90s, it changes everything, Billy. It changes the decisions we'll have to make about where we're going to live, about what we're going to do, about how we get around and access the things that are important to us, and even about the friends that we're going to associate with and how we make maintain those strong relationships over time. So, yeah. yes, financial resource is crucially important, but it's not the only thing.
1: Well, it's so important, and we engage with so many people that are going into that next chapter of their life and i'm referring there to retirement and it seems that it's it's such an unknown for most people obviously they've never done it before they've they can hear they can talk to colleagues they can talk to friends and associates and read everything that that they can get their hands on but it really boils down to what does it look like for each person and i do think there's so much that goes into those those emotional decisions about who you become does your identity become lost? How does your health, how is that impacted by maybe who you become in retirement if you don't have a purpose? And, you know, I grew up on a farm and I may have told you these, some of these stories, but it, it seems that farmers and ranchers and folks that live off the land and use their hands a lot, you know, they, they wake up each and every day with something to do, some purpose to get out of bed and to go out there and uh, deal with the animals, work, work their land, something like that. So it's, it's really not a huge focus for them. My, my father's never going to even consider the word retirement. There is no such thing. Mm -hmm. He keeps doing the same thing. He's 82 years old now, but how does that look for the average person who works at a, let's just call it a normal job, puts their years in, takes care of their career, builds up their retirement, what are some of the trends now that you're seeing in your work for these retirees?
2: So, Billy, you bring up a really, really good point. And, and I would argue, and it's my own theory, I think the retirement that most people conceive of was really invented in the 1950s and 1960s, right? It was meant to last about seven to 10 years. And when I say the retirement, most people think of, they think of the the retirement of total relaxation and recreation. Hey, not that those aren't good things. But you can't fill 30 years of life with relaxation and recreation. Maybe some could argue you could, but like you just said about your dad, having something to do every day, having a mission and purpose. Billy, I think it's the the number one concern of this extended period of longevity. In fact, uh, we were very concerned even during the pandemic about the impact of isolation, not just on our kids, but especially on, on older adults as well. There was an epidemic in the United States prior to COVID-19, and it was primarily populated or centered in the male population. It was the epidemic of boredom, loneliness, isolation, and depression. And you may may say, well, why men? Well, ladies aren't off the hook. But if you think about men between the ages of 25 and 65 years old, exclude spouse or significant other. A majority of their socialization comes at work. It's where our friends are. It's We serve clients there. We develop self-esteem both internally and respect externally. And then this, as the story goes, sometime in our late 50s to mid 60s, we're supposed to hang that up and totally change our routine, do something different. Why? Well, because that seems to be the age that everybody does it. And we leave behind All of those things that have really had a major impact on who we are as a person. And so what we find is that you may ask, well, why not so much with ladies? Well, women, despite the increasing role and importance in the workforce, largely often retain the title of chief operating officer of the household. Women by about two to one are the ones taking the lead in planning social activities, dinners out with friends, family uh, gatherings, holiday celebrations. And what MIT tells us is that women can more readily reform social networks outside of that primary place of employment than men do. And so one of the important lessons, Billy, is that you know, sometimes you hear people retire and they say, I can't wait. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna golf seven days a week for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. And maybe for a year or two they do. And then what you'll hear them say is, you know, I I, I golfed with the same group of guys for two years. We go out and play, we'd wind up, you know, in in the in the snack hall there, watching Oprah for a couple, I was going to end it all. I can't take it anymore. It's bored out of my skull. (laughs) And so, you know, thinking about what we'll be doing next, I think is always important, developing new interests, learning new things. I think it was Henry Ford that says anyone who stops learning is old, whether you're 20 or 80 and anyone who keeps learning keeps the mind young. And the greatest thing in life is to keep the mind young. And I think that learning new things is really important.
1: Keep learning. I totally agree with that statement. Now, since you mentioned the pandemic, I hate to go into that. Some people cringe when they hear that now because we kind of get past it and we want to be past it. Most people don't want to think about that again. However, I'm one of these that likes to analyze and likes to look at, look at facts, look at data, determine if decisions that were made were healthy, were effective, were helpful, so to speak, so you know in some of the studies that I do and and you know me a little bit background that my wife and I are are pretty big advocates of wellness, mind body wellness, and just understanding how the body operates, how the mind is so critical in every aspect of your physical well-being. and I think that's often overlooked. A matter of fact, I think it's Probably almost exclusively overlooked in how many doctors are trained to um, take care of their patients in this day and age and medical medical schools, insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies. Uh, I lump them all together because it's turned into, in my mind, a profit center. and we've gotten away from the total body wellness and the emotional aspect of how physical attributes, are manifested with our emotional situation, what's going on in our life. In other words, our stresses and anxieties. So during the pandemic, you saw how the fear was propagated uh, so extensively with the media, with even our own healthcare directors, the people that we are all turning to to get information. I think the fear was at an all-time high. Now, I know a lot of times stories get over dramatized just because people like to be in the spotlight they want to you know how make a story sound bigger than it is and i think we've all been guilty of that from time to time but what it did in my mind was create unnecessary amount of fear and i know for a fact that fear down regulates our ability to heal it shuts down our immune systems and so i wish there was a way to study how how and poor or, or detrimental that was for people who maybe did get sick or get the virus. And I think almost everyone in the, on the planet's have it by now, but how much that contributed to severe disease or even death because of isolation and being unable to disconnect and have that human element there. Have you guys done anything on that and looked into impacts of around the pandemic response?
2: I think it's I think it's probably still too close to the quote unquote end of the pandemic, right to to for us to have had valid results. But I do think your concerns are valid in that isolation increases fear, paranoia, so on and so forth, let alone that, that if you think about just those couple of years and I, like you, I hate to take people back to that. But we had to isolate in our homes, which the only thing to do was watch TV or play board games, right? So you're watching this steady flow of negative information. And don't get me wrong, a little bit of stress actually is adds to brain health. We're actually working with a, uh, a brain uh, researcher named Dr. Mark Milstein in Southern California. He just wrote a book called The Age-Proof Brain. And what he talks about are little things that we can do to actually extend the health of our brain, maybe staving off the dementia or Alzheimer's, things like that, through lifestyle choices that we make. But when talking with Dr. Milstein, one thing he said to me, akin to what you were just talking about, Billy, was that modern medicine was really developed to treat specific ailments in different areas. So we have a cardiologist and a neurologist and a gastroenterologist, but- we're just now scratching the surface of the interaction of all those systems. And at, at the head of all those systems are our brains, right? Our, our mental health. And I think there is validity to the concern. And, and again, I'll just add this. Everyone knows what it feels like now to be isolated from our experiences over the last two or three years. But especially when we talk about aging into our 80s, 90s, so on and so forth, if we're not socially active... If we're not being intentional about developing new interests, meeting new people, learning new things, that isolation can actually be self-fulfilling. It can be something that we bring upon ourselves. And given that, uh, I think you're right. There was just an article in The New York Times, but I think it was by Nicholas Kristof, you know, very popular writer for The New York Times, talking about why is it that Americans chronically feel more pain than many other citizens of other societies, and and you know part of that supposition may be because of the incredible amount of stress that we encounter. And uh, and in his article, he was talking about the origins of some of the the opioid crisis, right? People trying to alleviate that pain. Where I know Dr. Mark Milstein would say, you know, what he has seen in his research is adopting practices such as mindfulness, meditation, prayer, whatever. Flavor that takes, right? Being able to relax the mind, you know, clear is actually really healthy for your brain. And I think when we think about extended longevity, it's hard hard to think about living a long time, leaving our brains on the sideline. We certainly want to bring that along with us. And so, you know, sleep habits, nutrition habits, exercise habits, all these things play a role in our long-term, not only our overall physical health, but also our brain health.
1: Right. Yes, for sure. And We talk about that all the time. So amazing to me how many people suffer from chronic diseases, chronic pain. It is an epidemic. I read an article last weekend that said more than 50% of our population is suffering from some sort of a chronic ailment. And that could take the form of even of diabetes, of chronic migraines, of chronic knee pain, chronic back pain. You know, the back pain epidemic costs our country north of a hundred billion dollars a year john Uh, it it is absolutely crazy to me yet they they can't they well most people can't find the correct answer fortunately i was one of them i was part of that population and i found my way out of that not by some drug or some surgery and believe me that's what i was prescribed on a number of occasions every time i went to another specialist it wasn't about what was going on in my life. It was about, what have you tried? What medications are you on? Have you tried this? Well, we should probably operate. You know, it it was always into that. And you start to step back and think who benefits from this. Is this really to help me or is this just to keep me coming back for more and more band-aids and keep me coming back for more, you know, I'd be, my life would be completely, I, I would be under their umbrella, so to speak. I couldn't get out of it. And once you find out that you can recover, your body can recover and, and you you start learning about mind body. This is fortunately for me, there's a, there are a few doctors out there that I was able to read books and hear some of their stories and listen to all these people that I have recovered. So that's where I kind of veered off into the whole mind body awareness. And it does talk, it does lead me to the question about longevity, because if we're, if we're going to live a long life, we certainly want to live it free of pain and free of disease if we can. And, you know, those factors are going to be present. If we can't find a way through that fog, we want to, I think people need to learn more about this, this whole concept. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, you have a term that you use there called social portfolio and Mm -hmm. why that's so important today. I want you to share with our listeners what that really means. And as we go along, we continue to tie back into, um, how people can be more aware of what's going on with their help.
2: Absolutely. So, a social portfolio. Everyone knows, really what a what an investment portfolio is all about, right? We know it's diversified assets that are hopefully, if we invest in them, they'll over time provide a return that will, you know, we'll be able to enjoy over time. Well, in the same way, uh, we posit that we should look at our social portfolio. What is a social portfolio? It's really taking a look at the relationships in our lives, right? And this goes all the way back to the time of Aristotle. Aristotle said we had three basic kinds of friends. He said we had friends who are virtuous friends. There are close friends the, the friends that make you a better person just by hanging out with them. And many of us might have one or two or three really, really close friends. Sit outside of that. You might have fun friends, right? Maybe there's five or six people. These are the ones that, you know, you just settle into your recliner on a Friday night and the phone rings and they say, hey, what are you up to tonight? Why don't we go here, do this, do that, right? They stretch us, they give us new experiences. And then there are utilitarian friends. And these are kind of interesting. Your utilitarian friendships are people who you wouldn't necessarily call close friends, but you're somewhat familiar with them. They're also referred to as weak ties. So think about a hairdresser, a barber, a favorite waiter or waitress at a restaurant who, you know, you've seen them over time. You've developed somewhat of a relationship. You know about their families and things like that. But those friends kind of keep us in touch with the world around us because they're not necessarily from our inner circle. And MIT would add one more group of friends. They would call your, your friends that are under development, your developing relationships. Who are people in your life that... You think you would like to uh, to learn more about Billy? The reason why your social portfolio is so important in evaluating, you know, where how many friends do I have? Is that oftentimes as we age, aging with aging, there's a natural attrition to our friendship networks. As we get older, friends move away, friends pass away, and if we're not careful about kind of replenishing that, we can find ourselves again experiencing that isolation that I talked about earlier. In fact. What we see today are about 31% of Americans over age 65 say they haven't made a new friend in the last five years. That's pretty concerning because as we age, our friends do two really important things for us, among others. But one, they get you up off the couch, giving you a reason to go someplace and a reason to be there. So you're physically active, you're involved in doing something. And secondly, mental stimulation, right? A reason to circle the date on the calendar, things to look forward to. You know, they say it takes about 48 to 60 hours to begin to form a new friendship. People are like, where in the world am I going to find that time? Usually it occurs not because you've allotted certain hours. It's because every Thursday night you go and participate in this activity. Every other Saturday, you give your time to a charity in town and spend time with other people. And so it, it's kind of developing a new routine. See, when we retire, we re- we park a routine that many of us had been following for 20, 30 years. And we just think that naturally something's going to replace it with yeah. no effort, with no effort on our part. And so, you know, I, I think knowing that friends are so important, in fact, there's another study Harvard University did called the the Harvard Study on Adult Development. They followed over 700 men half from Harvard University, half from some of the poorest neighborhoods in Boston over the course of their lives. And every year they would get together with them, kind of interview them. And they they wanted to assess the paths of their life over time. They said at the end of the study, in fact, I think they're now into the second generation of the study, that the three things really stood out among those who aged most successfully. One was that they had a basic philosophy Upon which they based their decision makings over weeks, months, years, right? So it was something they were trying to become, and their decisions were based on that. They said, secondly, they were res- resilient. When life threw them a curveball, they absorbed it, learned from it, grew from it, and moved on. But the one thing that was more important than anything. Was the strength of relationships, relationships, relationships? So we we kind of bring it out, Billy. We we talk about this concept of a social portfolio because we're concerned that people think that at age seventy is it's easy as it's as easy to make friends as it was at age twenty, and it's not. Largely because we're not in the same kind of environments that we used to. As we age, we have to be more intentional about putting ourselves out there. We, we may have to take all investing involves risks, even investing in their social portfolio. You may not enjoy what it was you tried. That's okay. At least you know what you didn't <laughs> want to try, right? But you may come away with a relationship or two that may help. And one other thing, Billy, before I leave the topic, it's really important to integrate younger people into your social network as you age. You say, well, why is that? Well, young people do have a certain amount of energy Uh, But by incorporating younger people into your social portfolio, you'll virtually guarantee that you won't outlive your social network. Mm -hmm. You would say, well, it beats the alternative. And I would argue back, not if you've ever met someone that's ever lost all those around them that make life worth living, right? So as we think about the organizations, the charitable volunteering that we do, where we find ourselves during the week, getting involved in with groups of people who come from different backgrounds, different ages. It's really important to healthy aging and our relationships.
0: Excuse me. We're almost in the home stretch for the episode, but before we cross the finish line, I just want you to know that you can contact Billy and his team at www.petersonws.com or by visiting the show notes. Now back to harnessing your wealth. Yeah.
1: You look at those younger people in your life and you, Sometimes I guess you get a little nostalgia wishing you could go back sometimes, do it again, but they do provide some of that energy and give you some, maybe some outlook of things you might want to do or try or experience. And, you know, your mind is a crazy thing. I keep going back to that. Just what you believe actually can manifest and can become reality they did a study. I read this. It was a very interesting study. I don't I can't remember the name of the organization did it, but it was a pretty well-known university and they they took I think it was 8 or 10 males and they put them in these were older gentlemen, maybe set in their 70s. And what they wanted to do was test their sense or the perception of reality. And they put them in some sort of housing arrangement, some campus. I can't remember how it was all structured. A long story short, put them all together and created, they took them back in time about 30 years. So everything in their house, everything in their living quarters was magazines and newspapers, everything from the 1960s or something like that. And I think they did this in the 90s. And so they, they lived in such a way that everything became as if they were living in the past. There was no mention of current years, current times, current you know, way things were or way things are, it was the way things were then. And I wanted to see how this would affect their mindset. After three weeks, they came out and they, and then they measured a whole bunch of things, took a lot of tests. These men actually measured after going back in time, feeling like they were 30 years younger. They, they measured like hundred percent higher. It wasn't a hundred, but it was about 50 or more percent higher in their, in their aptitude tests. So mental tests, and then also, <laughs> crazy physical tests. They were all taller. Now, how does that happen? They <laughs> they, they they grew in height, and wow. and many lost weight in that period of time. So, it's kind of weird to me how things can can play out. But it's no weirder than thinking about just placebo effect. You know, if you think about how people can be cured from it. Cancer from a stage four cancer, incurable disease, was thought to be incurable, and they're given a sugar pill, but they think that they're going to heal because they don't know it's a sugar pill, and they heal and they get better. So the mind, to me, is is something that we don't even have a clue of how powerful it really is, and what what can happen if we just set set the mind in the right direction.
2: And yeah, and I would it say it. even Doctor Milstein says that the age that we think we are actually impacts. Mm. Uh, our overall health, right? So if we think we're younger, we, you know, we feel pretty good about ourselves, it really has a dramatic effect on your overall health. So I think, again, we've just begun to scratch the surface of research into, you know, the the real impact the brain has over all aspects of aging. But, um, you know, again, meeting new people and learning new things, what he would say is, uh, which is, again, all actively engaging our brains is that, look, nothing wrong with crossword puzzles. I love crossword puzzles myself, but he says, look, it's not just about crossword puzzles, right? If you just do this crossword puzzles every day, what do you get really good at? Doing crossword puzzles, right? But how about mixing it up a little bit? You know, he would say, yeah, if if you picked up a new instrument, say you always wanted to learn how to play the guitar, rather than trying to play one song until you play it perfectly, you should try to play new songs, right? It's, It's learning those new things that create new neural pathways in the brain that actually help keep the brain plump and healthy. And uh, when we mix that in as one of the, you know, one of the things that can really aid us in terms of, uh, you know, brain health over time. Another one is real simple. Again, based that if our mind is so important, the health of our brain is so important. When we talk about exercise, sometimes when I talk to people about exercise, especially as... They're getting older. They're like, I am not going to go to the gym twice a day, you know, seven days a week. Okay. One of the most impactful things you can do for your brain is go for a 30-minute walk outside in the fresh air each day. Just a 30-minute walk has incredible benefits, right? Mm -hmm. Because while we're walking, our body, our brain is receiving all kinds of signals from our brain. We may be remembering things or thinking back to things, kind of meditating, if you will, as we walk. And uh, if nothing else, as as Dr. Milstein says, from an evolutionary standpoint, your brain was always involved in walking because you have to remember the way to get home. If you didn't, Mm. you wouldn't propagate the species and away we'd go. So there's lots of things, uh, lots of things to think about, but small things we can change that can have a a big impact.
1: Mm. And so many things would become habit just become a subconscious controlled thing. You know, sometimes we drive drive home i don't know how i got home i just got right. home um but your mind can wander and i think that's one of the things is so a present moment awareness that meditation the whole concept of just being present and i found that to be a huge part of me getting well is understanding that i was thinking overthinking worrying overanalyzing and it it all came back to just mostly just the fear of the future the worry of the past uh, the not being comfortable with what I was doing right now and always worrying about the next hurdle to jump. And Mm -hmm. am I good enough? And do people care about me? And am, am I respected? Am I valued? Do I matter in this world? And all those things may sometimes come from your childhood. There's a really good book called The Deepest Well written by Nadine Burke Harris. I believe she's she's lives in california and she's she was one of the medical directors out there in the state of california but she wrote a really good book as a heck of a lot of good information just about the traumas that child that children face and they she calls them adverse childhood experiences so referred to as aces and they you may have heard about this but they do a study on children and their their future health issues based on the number of ACEs that they deal with. ACEs could be things like your parents were divorced. You were raised in an abusive home. you, your, One of your parents was incarcerated. You dealt with physical abuse. You dealt with sexual abuse. You dealt with drugs in the family, et cetera, et cetera. So there's about 12 or 15 of these uh, adverse categories. And the more ACEs you have, the direct impact it com- it boils down to your your future health. They said that, If you had four or more ACEs, you are 70% more likely to be incarcerated as an adult. You're 70 or 80% more likely to develop a chronic disease such as heart disease, diabetes, or one of these autoimmune diseases that are so common. So you think about that, and that all comes back down to your health of your mind and the things that you said in your mind, and we're so susceptible and fragile as children. So I, I think I would recommend that to all the listeners if you haven't read that yet. It really tells you a, a lot of good information. And John, as we move along into this, into the closing stages of the podcast, what are your couple of big recommendations for retirees as they move forward and how to how to maintain that sense of well-being and that sense of happiness and purpose in their life?
2: Yeah, I think I think first of all, it has a lot to do with your sense of how you contribute or help other people. I don't know about you, Billy, but every time I kind of feel down a little bit, it's like if I get an opportunity to serve or volunteer or help someone else it kind of picks you up out of that. So I think finding a mission and purpose, number one, recognizing that that's something we've got to be cognizant of. What is the reason we have to get up in the morning? And I mean, beyond just enjoying that day's events, but what are we about? Having that centering philosophy, I think is really important. Secondly, acknowledging the fact that retirement probably is gonna look a lot different than it did for parents and grandparents, just by the fact of we are living longer and we tend to live better. So there are gonna be questions that we have to answer about uh, where are we gonna live? Is the home that I live in gonna be able to accommodate me to later ages? These are not questions that have to be solved overnight. But so many people want to stick their head in the sand and say, it'll never happen to be. For instance, when we talk about the home that you live in, you know, the average American will move about 12 times during their lifetime. And the majority of those moves occur after age 50. We need to be cognizant of that this might happen because when it happens, then it's not a blindsiding event that makes us want to just withdraw. It's something that said, well, yeah, we kind of thought about this, we've seen it coming. You know, the these are the kind of things that we need to think about. And more than anything, it's really what we talked about the power of relationships and always making sure to put ourselves in a position where we're we're growing our social network, where we're meeting new people, learning new things. I think that learning component, Billy, whether I'm learning a new skill, learning a new hobby, or maybe even learning something about the spouse or significant other that I've been with for years, it's just learning new things about people, about things, about places. It keeps us in the game. It really does. So those are just a couple of things that I always say that, you know, my favorite philosopher is Yogi Berra. And he famously said, the future ain't what it used to be. Mm -hmm. We would wholeheartedly agree, right? For those reasons, Uh, we need to keep thinking about lifestyle and we need to keep thinking about uh, we're aging differently than people that we've seen. You mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast. Very few of us have mentors that can tell us exactly what our retirement is going to look like. And so we've got to be open to new ideas. And folks, I always point to people like Billy, financial advisors oftentimes have great contacts with people who have kind of navigated these questions and these challenges in the past. So uh, I'll leave you with this one thought. This is a long answer to a wrap it up, Billy, but I'll i give you it. one more analogy. Oftentimes I'll say to folks, when you're thinking about your retirement, so on and so forth, forget about that for a second. Imagine you were putting together a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, if you're putting together a jigsaw puzzle, what do you think the most important first steps would be? And people generally will say, well, you got to find the corners, you got to find the straight edges. Well, those are really important steps, but they're m- not the most important first step. You have to take a look at the picture on the box, right? Now, some people say, if you look at the picture on the box, that's cheating. I say, if you don't look at the picture on the box, that's insane, right? (laughs) So a lot of times we want to evaluate the pieces, especially the financial pieces that we've collected, but they don't mean anything unless we can take a pause, take a step back and try to clarify what the picture on our box looks like. And you don't have to do it for a 20 year period. You can say over the next five years, right? What is my story about? who are the people? Where does it take place? What what do I really want to accomplish? Because then the pieces can begin to, you can begin to evaluate the pieces you have and to see whether they're the ones that best fit into position to bring that image off your box. So, you know, thinking about taking the time, it's not something that many of us do because we're so involved with the day-to-day activities. We don't pause, take a step back and ask ourselves, what am I really about? And what is most important to me? Over the next couple of years, because that I think is really important to our sense of overall well-being and happiness, being content and being able to achieve those things that are most important to us.
1: Mm. Yeah, those are some really, really good thoughts. Got me thinking just a little bit, and I would—I just wanted to add a couple of thoughts here to myself. Yeah. Feel free to join in if you if you think of anything else. But the the thing I'm thinking is people who have this tendency to to want to see more and more so they get addicted to a value for example in a portfolio and they they don't ever learn to live they don't ever learn to enjoy what they've accumulated and so it's it's more or less the numbers it becomes the addiction of how much money can i possibly accumulate before i die and i find that sad i find that disheartening in a way because What I do and what I enjoy doing is helping people build wealth so they can enjoy it. So that can be part of something that they will, will appreciate. I don't care if they give it away, if they can't find a reason to spend it on themselves or spend it on other people, that's fine. But what I don't enjoy doing is seeing people accumulate, build, 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 and then pass away. And then someone else gets to decide where it goes. You know, and even even then, some folks don't even want to do the planning for that, you know, the estate planning. And I think it's just so critical to bring these to your your awareness. If you're going to start building wealth, don't make it about how much you can obtain. And I'll refer to a few institutions that are very common and very easy to pull back into reference for context. Think of Yale, think of Harvard, think of some of the major institutions around this world sitting on billions, tens of billions of dollars and you're you, you somehow sometimes ask yourself, when is enough enough? When do they use that more than they are? I know that they say, well, we need this to do X, Y, Z. But you know, think about how much they've grown in their endowments over the years. Just what? Just look at the 10year chart of the value of those portfolios. and they're they're distributing far less than what they're growing. And again, I'm going back to the thought of where, where is this intended to go? What's the point? And I know they, they, you can get into some conceptual issues about, will we need it for these reasons, but I want people to just open their eyes, take the blinkers off and understand, don't get addicted to numbers. There's a point, there's a purpose, there's a need. I serve on several nonprofits and I, I'm always asking the question, what are we doing this for? And I try to bring that up to the other directors, because again, it comes so many times back to the amount of money that we have. It's like, it's our money. No, it's not. What are we supposed to be doing with this money? Let's benefit the folks that need it. Let's put it out there. We've done the job that built it. Well, we need an endowment. I, I think it becomes a big fancy word. And and so the other thing is just making sure that when you're building this wealth, you're thinking about your social, your your emotional health, your lifestyle, your... What do you want to do? And that's where it comes back to the retirement planning, right, John?
2: It's uh, exactly right. It's at what's the image on your box, and it usually, you know, as somebody said, no one's going to ask on your deathbed how well you managed the S and P five hundred over the years, right? They're <laughs> going to what were you able to accomplish? What do you stand for? What do you want to be remembered for? Um, what are you about, right? That's what I, when I talked about that Harvard study on adult development, it's having a philosophy about who you want to be, what you want to be known as, and and becoming that person and using your whole life to kind of support that, I think is really important. That's that sense of mission and purpose that we talked about.
1: Fantastic. Thanks so much for your comments today, John. I really appreciate your information working with the Hartford. I know you guys do a lot of, a lot of digging for research and helping people understand and explore what life is going to be like. So that's going to help our listeners. I know they're going to appreciate your time. So for those of you out there who listened, appreciate you joining us today, stay tuned. We're gonna have another great show lined up for you in a couple weeks from now. So take care out there guys, holler at us if you have any comments or questions.
0: Thank you for listening to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. Before we declare the race official, please click the follow button so you can be notified when new episodes become available. For more information about today's show, please check out the show notes visit our website at www.petersonws.com or give us a call at 801-475-4002. Once again, thank you for listening. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Peterson Wealth Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice.